great to be with you here this morning. Isn't it nice to finally be done with winter, maybe? Isn't it? It's great. We got to, I think it's our first Sunday in a while. It hasn't had some sort of weather. So I'll forget. You guys got really quiet when I said that. Winter's over. It's ready. I'm ready for the warmth. Anyway, it's great to be with you here today. Um, you know, here at Seacoast, we exist to help people discover life in Christ. And when we talk about that. That's why everything we do, we want people to meet Jesus, to learn what it means to walk in his ways. And that's here in our community why we, um, you'll see love Encinitas everywhere. We definitely want to be people who express what God's doing inward uh, to in a, in a, the way we live outwardly. And so that's why we want to love our community well. We want to uh, love our city well and neighbors and all of that. And also that extends, though, to the ends of the earth. Uh, you may know this or not, but we do uh, invest quite heavily in sending people to the ends of the earth because we believe Jesus has called us to bring the, the message of grace and and truth and life to the ends of the earth. So we have a global missions team and we support nine missionaries. And uh, today we have a Zoom conversation, a Zoom call. I know it's, it's, we've had a lot of Zoom calls in the last few years, right? So it's a new thing. But a quick little update um, from one of our missionaries uh, who works in Papua New Guinea. And uh, so today we're going to let you see a little bit of that conversation just for an update to hear how things are going. So let's go ahead and play that. Good morning, I'm Apple Phillips, and I'm here with Tim and Diana. Ask you, they're Seacoast missionaries who spent many years among the Nakwe people in Papua New Guinea, bringing the gospel to them. Thank you for joining us here this morning, Tim and Diana. Glad to be here. Thanks, Apple. So when you went to the Nakwe, uh, what did you find? Who are the Nakwe people? The Nakwe people are a, a distinct language group uh, among 800 languages in Papua New Guinea. They're a very small little uh, group of people, 500 in number, and they live in a very, very remote location, about an hour's flight from the nearest city um, onto a grass airstrip, and then we hiked five miles to where they were. They're cut off from government sources, any kind of educational um, or medical care from the government. They really had no technological advances. They were, and their uh, main religion was animism at the time. They were ancestor worship and worshiped the spirits in the trees and in the plants and animals. Fear really drove a lot of their worship. Fear and appeasement of, of angry spirits was how they lived their lives. Everything had a reason. Um, and it was just spirit-led. So, and God led us to move in among them. And uh, with our family. Yeah, with our family. That's right. In 1996. Right. Wow. So when you went there, they were an unreached people group. But what's God done with them since then? Mm -hmm. uh, well, in a word, uh, he's changed lives. It's radical transformation. And uh, it's been amazing to be a part of it and see it firsthand. Um, these are people who, um, uh, you know, with no Bible, no truth, their marriages, their their relationships were um, completely um, dysfunctional. Um, relationships up and down the river with other tribes. Um, in the community, there are tr traditional warring people 
thrive on conflict. And um, we've just seen him, you know, God raise up a church that's allowed people to see a new path, to experience God's grace and, and learn what love is and how to live that out, you know, among themselves and in their relationships. Um, this picture is a, an early picture of the, the Nakwi church um, and uh, just uh, the discipleship and the time over years um, uh, teaching God's word. And it's been it's been amazing translating scripture. This is Aoyo, my translation helper. Um, and we're still in the in the midst of a translation project. So God's done uh, amazing things in Nakwi. Thank you. So you are heading back to Papua New Guinea this Friday. Uh, how can we pray for you? Well, uh, a big prayer request is is this picture of the new Nakwi Teddy School, which we're launching. Seacoast has uh, financially donated to. We're going to be flying in and uh, with with teachers, Lord willing, and in, in getting that school launched. Uh, another big part of, of our uh, trip is uh, we're going to be uh, bringing over a new missionary family, which we're going to be training and walking alongside them as they transition to uh, a new world of, of service and missions life in Papua New Guinea. Um, and how uh, else? Uh, the the new the church we're going to be as we go into the bush we're going to be spending time just to encourage these church leaders the elders and the church bringing um, just some some things for them to encourage and strengthen them as well well thank you for joining us this morning tim and diana and we'll be praying for you now thank, thank you, you so very much seacoast family thank you well, let's just do that. Let's pray for the Askew family. Lord God, we thank you so much uh, for how you work uniquely in each individual. And God, how you've shaped us and, and put passions and gifts and talents in all of us. And Lord, you have a calling. You have a purpose for each one in this room. And Lord, your specific unique calling to, uh, to Tim and Diane was to this very remote people group. And Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness and, and hearing that call and going and learning a new culture and new language and learning how to love uh, cross-culturally and bring your good news to their contacts. And so now as uh, they continue to work to launch the school, I know there's been some medical clinics they're working on. We pray blessings over that, uh, those efforts. I pray that the travel would go well, that uh, you would bless them with health, and Lord, your favor, not just on the one tribe, but for the whole region, Lord, that your name would be lifted high, and people would experience life and, and grace with you. So we thank you now, Lord, and pray for them in your name. Amen. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Isn't that amazing to uh, hear the call to go somewhere where there's 500 people who speak the language, and Tim has uh, done the work of uh, translating the book of Matthew, and so they, they've been kind of working through, and this is a tribe that had no written language. So not only did they have to translate it, they had to create an alphabet for them. So, um, you know, I thought English class was hard. <laughs> 
So uh, it's unique people gifted in different ways, which is uh, such a cool thing, such a blessing. So uh, we are, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 3. That is where we are today. Uh, we've been in a series uh, going through the book of John. And uh, we're going to take time to walk through it all the way. We're, we're going to take some little breaks throughout uh, the, the course of each year. But it's going to take a while to get through this because we really want to understand this teaching on who is Jesus and what are the things that John, who was a disciple of Jesus, really wanted to communicate about the life of Christ. And, and we know that this book was the last of the four Gospels, the four um, uh, messages of Jesus in our New Testament. This was the one that was written last. And so conceivably, it's, John is thinking, this is what people need to know about Jesus that maybe they haven't heard yet. So there's some new stories. There's some uh, d- different angles on things. But it's, again, who is Jesus? What was he like? And what does that mean for us? And there's a few things that we've seen already there's, to, to know. The context is this. John wants us to know about Jesus' divine nature. We see that all over um, it so far in the first. It starts from the very beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus truly is God who came in flesh, who walked among us. He is the Messiah, who is uh, the Israel's promised uh, anointed one who would come to redeem and rescue the world. He was the divine, uh, Jesus had a divine nature. Also, we saw Jesus' divine mission, meaning there's a mission for all to know about him. What great news on a day when we hi- hear about the work that you are helping support in Papua New Guinea, that all may know about Jesus. That was his heart, was that all people, not just the Jewish nation, but that everyone could be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And we saw Jesus' divine process, and this is something we've seen already, we're going to see over and over again, meaning it's his gift, not our works. Even in the story of, we, we saw a miracle of Jesus converting water into wine, and this was kind of symbolic of saying it's not about the religion, not about your ceremonies, none of those things, but it's the transformation that I am going to do. And, and so, in the first couple chapters, we see all of this already just thick with theology and the study of how is this working? How does this life in Christ work? Now, last week, Pastor Dom walked us through a passage where the, the, really the first two chapters and all of this information is played out in a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. He was part of the Sanhedrin, meaning the ruling class of priests. He was a Pharisee, and, and he went to Jesus. He'd been hearing about him. He's probably hearing some of the teachings and wanted to process, okay, if you really are God in flesh, if you really are coming to change the way we do things, I, I have to understand more about you. So Dom walked us through that conversation last week. As Nicodemus was trying to understand how it would work, and he was told by Jesus that you must be born again. This is kind of this phrase where we get that, what it means to be a born again Christian. And he really unpacked that and said, this has to do with being born from above, or the Spirit of God has to do a work in your life. And Jesus recalled back to the story in Ezekiel where God said his spirit would come and, and the spirit would fall on these dry bones and bring life to him. And until we have the spirit of God awakening our hearts and, and making us come alive, that none of your works, none of your goodness, none of that is going to accomplish anything, you need the spirit of God to, be, to, to allow the spirit of God to do a work in you. And, and so... And, Nicodemus and Jesus had that interaction. And then it ends, last week we ended, 
with which is probably the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture. One that even if you don't know it, you've probably seen it somewhere. And Dom even reminded us of, you'd see on a football game when they kick a field goal back in the 80s, at least someone always held up the sign, John 3.16. And, and still, every once in a while, we still see that today. Not quite as often, but it's still there. And the most famous verse there is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. So that was the summary of that conversation with Nicodemus. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to pick it back up at verse 16 because really verse 16 through 21 is a little bit of a, it's kind of a concise summary and theology of what the conversation with Nicodemus was about. And so today we're going to look at this and we're going to find a little bit of tension in the passage. We're going to move from this most beautiful verse and the verse that we all want to embrace, that we all love, and we're going to find that it gets a little more uncomfortable in this section, and we want to understand that well. So before we do that and become uncomfortable, would you pray with me as we start? God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for your love, your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the amazing truth that because you loved us, that you sent your son, to live among us, to, do, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, but then to raise again. And in rising again, Lord, you confirmed who you were, and you confirmed that your work was complete, and it is finished. So today, we can stand before you as forgiven people. We can stand before you fully loved, fully accepted, sons and daughters of you, because of your work. So, Lord, now as we look into this passage, would you shape and change and work in our hearts, God? That we may see you more and more clearly for who you are and be transformed by your goodness and your spirit in us. So we give you this now in your name. Amen. So again, so we're going to pick it up today, as I said, in John chapter 3, verse 16. And what we're going to see today is a little bit of that tension between God's grace and God's judgment. Judgment isn't a word that many of us like very much. It's a word that, in fact, most people want to do away with. Uh, in our culture, of course, you say, well, don't judge me, or why would you judge me? You don't have any right to judge. I don't think God would judge me. God is loving, right? So there is no more judgment. We don't like that word. I don't like that word. I don't think it's nice. So let's understand that tension between grace and judgment that we're going to embrace today. Now, again, as we said, that first verse is where we begin. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's great news. And, and, and we need to understand that this starts the first principle, principle number one that we want to look at today is this, that grace comes from the heart of God. It's at the very nature, the heart of God. When we speak of the heart of God in Scripture, we're talking about that of which makes him who he is. And, and grace is flowing from his heart. He gave his son first because of his love. It wasn't because we did something. And he said, you know, humankind is being pretty good. 
they're, they're on the right track. You know what? Let me just help them a little bit because they are, they're making all the right decisions. They seem to be, you know, things are getting better and better. They're really getting this whole love each other thing. So because of that, let me just seal the deal with my son. We'll just send him and he'll just confirm everything. God did not respond to our goodness. In fact, I believe that he had a plan to redeem us before he even created us. Because of his great love and he knew the nature of who we would be, he also said, I'm not going to leave you in your sin because I love my creation so much. I'm going to provide a way of redemption for them. And and so it's from the heart of God. Grace flows from the very heart of God. Look at verse 17. Most of us memorize verse 16, but do we memorize verse 17? Because it's just as cool. Look at it. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is amazing too, isn't it? He did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Thank you. But that we might be saved through him. I love that. That's great. God's grace for us is why he sent Jesus. Why he had a plan of redemption from the beginning. His great love for his creation. He didn't send Jesus to come to judge us, but to save us. Just confirm the truth we wanted to hear, right? That's good. You know, it's interesting uh, when you think through Scripture and look at how Jesus responded to different people when they said, what should I do to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? You know, Jesus answered that very different ways to different people. We saw last week, he said, well, you need to be born again. He told one person that, well, that person said, well, what commandment should I keep? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gave them this radical story of what that really looked like. One person said, I do all the, I follow all the commands. I'm basically a perfect person. And Jesus said, that's amazing. That's so good. Okay, just do one more thing. Give away all your possessions and you may enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, whoa, whoa, uh, let me go think about that later. (laughs) He told one person, or told many, repent and believe, you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Told some, repent, become like children. One, he said, do the will of the Father. It's interesting that the question that people had was a transactional question. And so a lot of times when we see Jesus respond to them, he's actually responding to their very misconceptions of who he is and who God is. And that's why when we read through scripture, there actually isn't just this one formula, because every time he's pointing at, I know what you think, you think if you just follow the commands perfectly or just perfectly enough, you can earn your way to me. I know what you think if you were just born into the right family and you're Jewish enough that you can come to me. And so he would always kind of point out their misconceptions about how God worked. And it was always this transactional, what do I need to do to make God say, okay, you're good enough, you're welcomed into heaven. And my guess is that that is a question on the heart of most people in the world. What does it take to at least, I want to have a good life. I want to have eternal life. If, there, if that exists, what do I need to do to get there? Just tell me the transaction that needs to take place. Even yesterday here, we um, had the sad and the celebration as we uh, 
remember the life of actually, we had two memorials yesterday from seacoasters. And in each of those, you, you, you can't help but to think that there's people who are processing what does it mean to experience eternal life? And the question at the core is how do I get there? What's the transaction? But the transaction really is that God has already provided your way. He's already made a way for you. And what's clear and consistent throughout Scripture is Jesus is saying there's a gift from God of eternal life and you can accept it or you can reject it. And we like to put things in the way to make it more difficult. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Isn't that pretty amazing? He's saying, you're making it so hard to, to, kingdom of he- to get into heaven that you've actually shut the door not only on yourself but on everyone else because you're making it about a transaction. It's a gift. Jesus came to save. He came to uh, give us this amazing free gift. When I think of a, this, kind of often, the question is, how do we respond to that gift? What does it mean to receive a free gift? Who wouldn't want the forgiveness of Jesus? Who wouldn't accept that? I was trying to think of an analogy that works, and there's no perfect analogy, but think of it this way. If I'm at a restaurant and I went to get my carne asada burrito that used to be $6 and now is $12 because there's 8% inflation. I can't figure out the math, but my burrito now it costs twice as much as it used to. And so I go in there and I have my $6, I order my burrito, I find out I don't have enough. And, 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 but I've already eaten my burrito because for some reason it's a place that lets me pay later. Okay, analogy already broke down. This is no longer a San Diego analogy, right? Ruined it. And I said, hey, I don't have the money to, make, to pay for this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I kind of start thinking, looking around, like, how am I going to do this? I can dine and dash. I can steal from someone else. I can, I can figure something out. And this, the server comes back to me and says, hey, good news. There's a free gift given to you that someone is going to pay for your burrito. They've already paid. The gift has been given to you. Price is paid. Now, I can do two things at this point, right? Well, maybe many, but here's one. I could say, that is amazing. Thank whoever gave that. I believe my price is paid, and I get up, and I walk out, and I'm, my debt is forgiven. I enjoy my burrito, and it's good, right? I received the gift. I believe that it was enough. Or I can say, well, who is this person? What am I going to owe them if I accept this gift? Maybe, you know what, I don't even know if I want that gift. In fact, I don't deserve that gift, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to find a way to pay for this burrito. Let me go do some dishes. Let me go work and work this thing off. I'm not accepting the gift. Or maybe I still say, no, I don't want it. I don't want to know that person. I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to be around someone who's that nice. I am going to dine and dash. I'm just going to leave because your burrito should still be six bucks. Amen? (laughs) How many of us do that to God and the free gift that's been given to us? It's there. 
It's, it's literally that easy. Jesus came to offer us eternal life, and the gift is placed in our hand, and we have a choice. We can say, that's an amazing gift. I thank you, and I believe that this is enough. Or we say, eh, I don't know if I want that. What does that mean if I accept that? Well, let's look as we continue on. How do people respond? Verse 18. Verse 18, by the way, is kind of a summary of 16 and 17. John writes, and he says this, and now he's going to introduce the tension for the day. The one who believes in Jesus is not judged. Good news. That's good news. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So that's the choice. That's 16 and 17 summed up. The one who believes is not judged, but the one who does not believe has already been judged. Now, wait, didn't Jesus come to save, not judge? So which is it? How does it work? Look at verse 19. Well, this is the judgment that I'm speaking about, that the light, which is Jesus, has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light. People love darkness rather than Jesus, for their deeds were evil. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think of friends, maybe family, who have not received and who have rejected the message of Jesus. And I think of them, and I think they're not evil people. Well, most of them aren't evil people. (laughs) In fact, I know some really good people who have rejected Jesus. I know some people that if you were just to compare their life and the life of some people who have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, I would say they are more Christ-like than some Christians I know. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully it's not anyone in this room. But I I don't look at some of my friends who've rejected Jesus and say they're evil people. But here it says, because of their evil hearts, that they will not go to Jesus. And so they're already standing under judgment. Now, let's understand this word a little bit here. I looked at, you know, we always like to kind of apply our seminary degree so that we can get some worth out of it. So you look at the word evil and it's like, oh, there's got to be some deep meaning to this. It's going to be great. And so I dug even deep below the surface a couple layers, and I found out that here, this word means evil. (laughs) Maybe wicked, but that's it. And I was like, come on, give me something that has a little more nuance that actually is nicer or something. And nope, it means wicked. But what I I think the, the context is really this. This is rooted in this belief that to understand all of it, we are already judged. Remember in verse 18, we're already judged. This goes to the biblical truth that says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that you are a terrible person. It doesn't mean that, it's not like everybody who's rejected rejected Jesus is like Hitler level of evil. It's just that our hearts apart from God are not trained on his goodness and his glory. We're trained on ourselves ultimately. Even unselfish people who don't know Jesus, often there's times when we still reject the goodness and glory of God. John Piper said it this way. 
We are all sinners who feel and think and do things that are not in sync with the infinite worth and beauty of God. That's what evil is. Sinners who think and do and feel things that are not in sync with the infinite worth and beauty of God. Even for those of us in Christ, we think and feel and do things that are not in sync with the infinite worth and beauty of God. We do that. It's kind of at our core at times to reject the goodness, to reject the life that God has created us for. It's just, it's natural to us. And anyone who says that, well, I I don't sin, I'm sure if you watched them long enough, you could see it. Or if you said, as anyone who says, well, it's not like kids are born evil and sinful. That's just because you've never had kids. We don't have to train ourselves to think and feel and live against the infinite glory and beauty of God. We, it comes naturally to look inward and to be selfish. It comes naturally to want to talk and gossip about someone else comes naturally to slander someone who's bugged you. It comes naturally to try to elevate yourself at the expense of others. These things are not hard to do, are they? It's not the heart of God. It doesn't reflect his beauty and his glory. So again, when we look at it's because they're evil, it's not that people in the sense that they're just these terrible people. It's just we have a tendency to drift away from God and towards ourselves at moments. It's not the selfless, life-giving life that Jesus has modeled for us. He says that we stand in judgment already because we begin as guilty people. And the whole message and mission of Jesus is to make guilty people into not guilty people. See, he doesn't have to come to judge us because we are already judged. Our deeds are the ones that expose our hearts and who we really are. I, I read a story this week about uh, a person who was walking through an art museum, and I could relate. I remember going to the Louvre in Paris, and the person's walking through this museum and looking at all this art. And, and I remember in the Louvre, it's, it's, let's be honest, it's not my favorite uh, art museum. I've been in a few around the world, and that one's not. It's just like a lot of really pasty, white, chubby people, um, paintings of them. That's most of the place. And you look at the Mona Lisa, and you're like, seriously? This is... This is Okay, anyway, but so, so I'm the character of the story, I think, that I'm about to tell. So this person goes through this art museum and looks at all these masterpieces, and at the end, the curator says, what do you think about all these paintings? And the person said, I actually think they're not very good. I don't think I saw anything that's interesting to me at all in here. And the curator said, well, you are, have already judged yourself you have no class and no style. And when I walked out of the Louvre, I was like, that's me. <laughs> See, we reveal ourselves, we, we judge ourselves through our own actions and behaviors and thoughts. Here's principle number two that we see. So the first one was this, that grace flows from the heart of God. The second one is this, guilt is from the heart of men. See, God doesn't have to impose guilt on us, but the guilt of not receiving the gift and coming to Jesus, that flows from who we are. From our, our own choice to not receive, to not accept, to not move towards the light. Look in verse 20. 
as he continues on. He says, for everyone who does evil hates the light. Again, evil not in the worst sense of, of bad and all that. It's just a life apart from God. You hate the light. You do not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as being performed in God. Again, John Piper says this about this passage. He says, the one who comes to the light comes, to the, comes by the grace of God. He comes with a profound sense of God-dependent humility that every good thing he does, he's able to do in God by God's power. Notice in here what he's talking about. Why do people not want to come to the light of Jesus? The answer is right here. Because they're afraid to be exposed. That the life of Christ will expose the truth of your life. I have friends who say, I just don't, I don't want that Jesus thing because I'm kind of happy with my life the way it is. I've got everything I need, and Jesus is just going to mess it up. What if he calls me to be more generous? What if he calls me to be more giving? What if he calls me to forgive this family member who hurt me, and I just don't want to forgive them? What if he calls me to give up some addiction that just feeds something inside me, and I don't want to give that up? What if Jesus, so the light exposes all of that, and ultimately, why do we reject Jesus? It's not because of his grace. It's not because he loves us. It's because we're afraid that he just might do a work in us and change us, change the things that we really kind of inside feed our own desires. And John ends this section, and he says, and the difference is those who go to the light want those things exposed. And ultimately, what they recognize, that all their works are being done in Christ anyway. If you want to know what it looks like to have the light to expose things in your life, I want to challenge you to, to do this. Have a relationship with anybody. <laughs> Be married, date someone, have a roommate, have a coworker that you actually talk to. When you are in relationship with somebody, your deeds will be exposed. Would you agree? Even when you say, hey, I'm having the best day ever, it's 8 a.m., we're loading the car, or 8.30, or sorry, 9, we're heading to church, we got in the car at 9 o'clock, we got to get there, 9 a.m. service, and so you leave your house, and you're ready, you're ready to worship, everyone's there, and then someone in the car says something that you misunderstand, so you respond out of the goodness of your heart, and then the fight erupts. And then finally someone says, would everyone just calm down? We're going to go worship Jesus. I've had enough of you. Just be quiet. Easter Sunday's coming. <laughs> oh, relationship with someone exposes all those little insecurities and deeds and all the things in our lives, do they not? A relationship with Jesus does the same. He wants to do a work in us and he wants to chip away and make us more and more into his image. And friends, you have stuff that needs work. I have stuff that needs work. And you know what the good news is? Jesus wants to do that work and he loves you through the process. It's okay. He doesn't call you and ask you to come to him perfected. He says, come to me and let me do my work in you. That is good news.
So, what did we learn today? A few things. Let's be reminded of this. Jesus was sent because of God's love, not his wrath. So many people think that God, the God of the Bible is a God, he's just waiting to smite us. Oh, can't I just come? No. He says, you are born with a heart that is prone to wander from me. And I know that. Because of my love, I'm coming to you. We see that Jesus was sent to give life, not death. He doesn't have to come to give death. We already have that. That is something we will all face. Separation from God is something we have already taken care of on our own. We have already made the choices to separate ourselves from God. But he comes to bring life, to bring that eternal life. Third thing we see is this. It's our own response which brings judgment. Now, there's tension through that. You can study judgment throughout the scriptures. In fact, Jesus says this in John 9, 39. He says, for judgment I've come into this world. I thought you didn't. (laughs) But he says this, that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Again, he's just reminding us, I'm gonna come and expose your deeds and I just want you, the judgment will come. It's already on you. It's because of you. And the last thing that we see here is coming to the light means we put our deeds before God, good and evil. Friends, as a church, that's the thing that why we want you to be in community with each other, why we want you to walk with each other. Because as we do that, we're saying, Lord, we know we're not perfect and none of us will ever be there. I've often told you this, you'll know you, your work is done of being perfected when you wake up on the other side of the ground, okay? When you are resurrected, then your work, the Spirit's work in your life is done on earth. But as long as you're walking, he's doing the work of perfecting us. And it's a journey, and it's okay. And we don't look at our friends sitting in here and say, well, at least I'm not where they are. At least I've made more progress. No, it's not about anyone sitting next to you. It's about God's work with you. And as we come to him, the light exposes and it reveals things and he does a work and we just leave that before him. As we end, I'm going to, going to read uh, the translation of this passage according to the message. And the message is a, a biblical translation that isn't necessarily a scholarly translation, but it just sometimes I like the way he, um, it's worded. So I'm going to read John three sixteen through 21 according to the message. I want you just to hear it this way as we end today. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need to be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all that trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. This is the crisis we're in. God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, 
They hate God's light, and they won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God's light so that the work can be seen for the work, for the God work that it is. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much for a reminder of your great gift that you poured out to us. I thank you that, Lord, it is not something we earned. And that's a truth that we rehearse week after week. I know that won't sound new to many people here. But Lord, I pray that you would remove all of those subtle ways that we do try to pay back the price you already paid. All the subtle ways we even reject or walk away from the light that you're shining on us. And God, we invite you to do a work in us among this place because we want the world to know this amazing truth of your grace. We want the world to know that they don't have to stand under judgment because you provide a different way. So Lord, would you continue to work in us? Would you work through us and around us?